Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So congratulations on just about finishing your first day of retreat. To all of us for that. It's an unusual environment to find yourself in. And hopefully you found some moments of beauty and peace and joy, but it's very possible that there were also some moments of confusion, of doubt, uh, of pain, of struggle. You might have even wondered sometimes, like, why did I sign up for this? What am I doing here? This is a question that comes up for us at different times in our life. Uh, for me, I traveled here from uh, California. So it was a long flight, and then uh, I came a bit early, so I would be a little bit more on time zone with you, because otherwise it's a like nine-hour time difference. Um, so I went to Amsterdam first for a little while, but I made that arrangement about... Um, I don't know, five months ago or so. And when I was sitting in the airport waiting for this flight, I was thinking to myself, why am I going to Amsterdam? Like, I don't totally remember. Like, the Anushka of six months ago made this plan, right? And now the Anushka of today is carrying this out and dragging body and baggage uh, here and there. So you might feel this way too, like, oh yeah, the insert your name person of some months ago made this plan and now I'm here following this kind of crazy schedule and walking around quietly. And Maybe some of you who have been here before have enough uh, faith to know, like, okay, first days can sometimes be hard, but uh, carry it through and then uh, something beneficial will happen. And I have that faith about retreat, because actually when I was coming here from Amsterdam to teach here, uh, I didn't have a question in some ways. Like, I didn't have a question about what, what I was doing this for. I have such faith in the Dhamma and the practice, uh, in the benefits of it, that uh, I knew this was a good thing to do, a good way to spend our time. And yet it's not always clear. So what is the relationship between that which you were looking for when you signed up for the retreat? And what we've been doing today, of resting with the frame of the body and the space around the body. And what does that even mean? So for some of you, it could have been that you've done some other techniques before and you felt you know, quite proficient at them. And now you come here and the teachers are telling you to do something else. So that also can be confusing. Like, can I do that? Or what's the good of it? Or, questions, doubts, like that. And then sometimes uh, people come uh, as repeat visitors to a place like Gaia House because they've had some retreat experience in the past that was useful, interesting, pleasant, uh, beneficial. So then the danger is that every time you come into the hall, you're waiting for that same experience to happen. And we call this like, dragging around the corpses of your past retreats. 
So where you might have expectation like, oh, it was this kind of day and I sat facing this direction and had this much oatmeal and then uh, you know, then I had this really beautiful meditation where it was very peaceful and uh, so trying to machinate that, machinate that. So there's a way in which in coming on retreat it, it does require a lot of faith and, and also a, a kind of letting go into seeing what is here to be revealed. So each trip, each time that we go somewhere, whether it's on a retreat or some other journey, uh, we don't actually know what it is we're going to encounter. And this is a very wholesome uh, environment here with people following the precepts, with renunciation, with you know, basically trying to be present and uh, follow uh, contemplative practices and in some ways an ancient recipe for awakening. as a recipe of 2,600 years old of awakening that's followed here and followed in meditation centers and monasteries all over the world and has been for centuries. So it can help to have some faith in some way that, okay, uh, I'm going on this trip but I don't exactly know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to unfold. And There's a way in which our ideas about what's possible can sometimes limit us from opening to or seeing that which is new, that which is the next step, that which is really possible to be revealed to us. So on a more mundane level you could consider how maybe when you were a little kid you you didn't know what it was like to go to school. And for many uh, little kids, if you had older siblings or you heard about kids going to school, it seemed like this very uh, cool, exciting thing that you were really dying to participate in because that meant you were like a big kid. Uh, But then you got to school and it was actually different than what you thought and after a while it probably got a bit old, like people telling you what to do all the time and uh, following lessons and homework and things like that. But it probably wasn't exactly what your idea of it was. Similarly, your idea of what it would be like to be a grown-up. For many young people, it's this idea like, oh yeah, when I finish school and get out and parents aren't pushing me around anymore and teachers aren't pushing me around, it's going to be great to be a grown-up. And then you become a grown-up and it's its own thing. Its own mixed bag of pleasure and uh, suffering, of having to make money or have a job or maintain a car or, you know, all kinds of uh, hassles of life. So all of these ways we have ideas about what things are, but what they are revealed to be is usually different than what our concept is. In terms of the unfolding of Dhamma practice, it's like that also. We have ideas about what's possible. We have ideas based on where we have been before. But the thing itself, as it unfolds, is actually oftentimes very different and much more than anything we could have imagined. So you could notice what that's like uh, if that comes to your mind. Either a sense of expectation of what's supposed to happen here, some reaching back for experiences that have happened in the past, or even the sense of doubt. You know, what am I doing here? 
there's a, a Buddhist practice of taking refuge in the Dhamma, you know, some, some way of like, okay, letting go into something larger, having some trust or faith that, okay, I decided to do this for this week and let me just at least do this practice and see. At the end of the week I can decide, is it worth it or not? Did I learn something or not? But yeah, for the moment, taking refuge, uh, just letting yourself be fully here, be fully in the container, and allow the mystery of what's possible to unfold. Now sometimes those kinds of uh, recommendations are not even enough. And I remember for me sometimes it was seeing the people who were the teachers or even teachers who I had met uh, in the past. And even though I didn't totally understand the connection between this sitting and walking to this wisdom that they seem to be talking about, I think I basically told myself, you know, these people know something, they understand something that I would like to understand. And they told me that they got that way from doing this thing. So, all right, I'll give it a try based on that alone. At least for a week, I'll give it a try and see. And in some ways, the practice that we're doing, the framing is, is so simple about the body. You know, so far we've been talking about being present with the body, resting with this frame of the body and the space around it. And it could seem kind of mundane. You know, it might seem not extremely uh, spiritual in some way, like not connected to nibbana or awakening or wisdom or love or anything. In some ways, it's the most common of things to tune into the experience of the body sitting, the body breathing, the body eating. And I should mention that also will include all of the in-between times. So it includes the body lying down, body standing, even the body showering, going to the bathroom. All is fair game for your practice. All is part of the field of play that we can open to. So this is one of the beautiful aspects of this practice uh, for me is that connecting to something so close as the experience of this physical body can be the vehicle for our full awakening. You don't actually have to travel really far, even though some of us here did. And you don't have to go looking for something very uh, unfamiliar or esoteric in some ways. You're just being very simple in resting with this frame. And so far we're collecting the attention, developing the samadhi. So this is the pathway to well-being, to happiness, to contentedness beyond changing circumstances. So how is this possible? You know, the Buddha talked about uh, three different levels of happiness that's possible for us as human beings. So one of them is the happiness that uh, most of us are familiar with, which is the happiness of sense pleasures. So experiences of the body uh, that are pleasant to us, that are satisfying to us in a certain way. So tasty food or 
beautiful sights, a nice sounds, uh, experience of pleasant experience of the body, smells that are pleasant. And our practice does help us to steady the mind so that we can actually experience these more fully. Some of you may have had this experience even uh, today of something very simple like drinking a cup of tea or uh, eating your soup and uh, really tasting it, really being present in some way that it seems like, wow, they make great soup here at Gaia House. The tea here is so good. At Spirit Rock Meditation Center in California, where I'm on the teacher's council and I teach often, uh, people often uh, ask for the recipes for things. And so one of the cooks actually made a, a blog about the uh, cooking there, uh, recipes. And then also they made a cookbook. But people would write back and say, you know, I tried to make this at home and I followed your recipe exactly, but uh, it didn't taste like it did on retreat. So did you miss an ingredient or... So then they write back and say, like, yeah, the missing ingredient was mindfulness (laughs) and concentration, right? So this is it, when we're actually really able to be fully present with something even as simple as oatmeal or raisin or cup of tea. Uh, We can actually experience even the sense pleasure of that in a much more uh, direct way without a wobbly mind. It's possible to enjoy But, as we find as we go along, and all of these sense experiences are pretty fleeting. So, you can certainly have a good cup of tea and have a nice bowl of soup, but if we're trying to find happiness and contentedness by lining up pleasant body experiences till the end of time, it's going to be very difficult because the environment is not under our control. So even just considering the weather today, you know, it was warm, er, then it got cooler, then it rained, then there was a beautiful sky, there was actually a rainbow you might have seen, then that faded away, you know, it's always changing like that. So if we feel like, well, I'll be happy when the weather is just perfect, you know, weather is to be perfect all week, all day, all night, it's a very fragile recipe for well-being. Or if we say, you know, I'll, I'll have a good experience here if they make the lunch that I want every single day. Or if the fruit is the exact ripeness I want. Or the soup is exactly the flavor I want. So that too is a fragile recipe for well-being. So the next level of happiness that is beyond just sense experience is actually the happiness of samadhi, of a collected mind. So this one we're working on through meditation practice, and the Buddha talked about the uh, happiness of concentration, of a collectedness of attention. So this is actually beyond any happiness that can come from sense experience, from soups or cakes or sex or uh, music or anything. So the peace and tranquility of a collected mind. And here we have beautiful conditions to experience that. 
to collect, collect the attention. And it takes some training. We're you know, little by little uh, working with this mind. And the habits are usually not to be collected. The habit of attention is to be scattered. In some ways, the regular world is almost designed as a uh, way of scattering the attention with advertising and honking horns and uh, emails and all this stuff. So this is one of the beauties of practice and of retreat is we get to let go of all of this and experience some of this collectedness of mind and the well-being that can come from that. And for me, this is a very valuable uh, aspect So if there's any moments in which you have a sense of well-being, of contentedness during this retreat, even hopefully during the day-to-day, when you were just sitting here breathing, when you were just walking back and forth inside or in the grass, when you were just sitting outside, looking at the grass or nature, something like that, if ever there's a sense of contentedness in that way, It's good to notice that because in that moment, whatever money you have could have evaporated, whatever possessions you have could have evaporated, whatever titles you have or uh, educational documents or anything could be gone and yet recognize like, oh, there's a sense of well-being that's possible. A sense of well-being that's possible. There's a peace that's possible, a contentedness that's possible without stuff. You know, just sitting and breathing, just walking, very simply. So then we can see like, oh, okay, maybe it's not getting experiences out there that's making me happy. Maybe the place for happiness is actually internally, the mind. So here's why we don't need a lot of equipment for this practice. So we get to explore in some ways this whole field that we usually don't tune into as closely. And then the third level of well-being, of happiness that the Buddha talks about is the uh, happiness of liberation, of nibbana, of awakening, of the radical possibility of freedom, of uprooting delusion from the mind, uprooting that which afflicts us. So whether you experience that temporarily or whether you have experienced that as some well-being of an awakening or insight, uh, either one is good. So we have at our uh, disposal here in retreat all these different levels of experiencing pleasant sense experiences, even very simple ones, experience the happiness of the collectedness of mind, and then leading us towards the happiness of liberation, of freedom, of awakening. So I mentioned the traveling that I've done, and everyone had to travel some distance uh, to get here. 
There's a story in the uh, teachings of the Buddha about a particular traveler who came to him and asked a question about uh, where you can get to by traveling. So I want to share a little bit of the story with you. So his name is Rohitasa. And this ginormous book that I have is the Anguttara Nikaya, this collection of teachings of the Buddha. And in this story, this uh, young deva, uh, deva is like, a, in this case, sort of like a, a angel or spirit, uh, Roitasa, he comes to the Buddha. He is a, a stunning beauty, and he's illuminating the entire grove. So he says, Roitasa, yeah. <laughs> so he says, uh, is it possible by traveling to know, to see, or to reach the end of the world? Where one is not born, one does not grow old and die, does not pass away and get reborn. So if you remember in the uh, opening to the retreat, uh, Catherine welcomed us as uh, brothers, sisters, and siblings in old age, sickness, and death. So this is a, a seemingly uncheerful uh, classical Buddhist greeting of uh, recognizing how we're all tied together in this way. That no matter who you are, no matter how uh, famous you are, or rich you are, good-looking you are, all of us are subject to getting old, uh, getting sick, and dying. So this is our predicament in life, whether you like it or not. So Rorita is curious, so is it possible by traveling to find the end of the world, a place where uh, basically there's freedom from this? And the Buddha tells him, I say, friend, that by traveling one cannot know, see, or reach that end of the world, where one is not born, does not grow old, or die, and does not pass away. And Roitasa is actually very happy with this answer. So he says, it's astounding and amazing how well this was stated by the Blessed One. So he's very excited with the answer because this was actually the same answer that he came to from his own uh, experience. So he says, in the past, you know, I've been trying to travel all this distance. Uh, and uh, in the past, I had all of this power to travel great distances. My speed was like that of a light arrow shot from a firm-bowed archer. My stride was such that I could reach from the eastern ocean to the western ocean. I possessed such speed and stride, and the thought arose in me, I'll reach the end of the world by traveling. So some of you may have had this uh, backpacker's wish sometime or wandering around. Uh, reach the end of the world, see everything. So he had a lifespan of 100 years. Living for 100 years, I traveled for 100 years without pausing. And then Roitas is actually very honest. So he tells the Buddha, well, except for eating, drinking, chewing, tasting, defecating, urinating, and occasionally resting. <laughs> but besides that... All I was doing was traveling, so I was really very earnest about this quest. And in fact, in this past life when I was doing this, I actually died along the way, not having reached the end of the world. So he was wondering, like, oh, did I just not travel long enough? Or, you know, so it's actually kind of a comfort that it wasn't his fault. Like, he actually couldn't reach this end of the world by traveling. So he's happy with this answer, but then still, you know, has this question, like, so where is this place? Is there a place where one does not 
have to deal with birth, old age, and death. And then the Buddha says something somewhat cryptic to, to him. He says, I say, friend, by traveling one cannot know, see, or reach that end of the world where one is not born, does not grow old and die, does not pass away and get reborn. And yet, I say, without having reached the end of the world, there's no making an end of suffering. So without having reached the end of the world, there's no suffering. But where's the end of the world? So it's not a place. So then the Buddha says, it's in this fathom-long body. So that's uh, like six feet, I think. But you could insert your height there. (laughs) In this fathom-long body endowed with perception and mind that I proclaim the world, the origin of the world, the cessation of the world, and the way leading to the end of the world can be found. So that's the uh, reason in some ways for our practice. So the Buddha says it's not by traveling. So you don't need to get visas, you don't need to get your passport out, you don't need to run long distances or buy plane tickets, even though you might have to come here. But now we're on the real journey, and it's in this very body, through the vehicle of this body, that the end of suffering can be found. Through exploring, how does the world arise? How does that which we call the world arise? And that which we perceive to be ourself and others? What is the nature of that which we call ourself? And is that which we take to be ourselves actually true? So this is the field in which we explore during this week and this rare opportunity to Uh, investigate this through your own experience, uh, through the tools that we're practicing, these arts of contemplation, of collectedness, of developing insight. So you can feel the body as you're sitting here and listening. And you may have been tuned primarily into hearing, but just notice however it is in this moment, this field of the body. And it could be there's a certain sense of vibration that's being noticed, some different changes of temperature. We've also been instructing you to uh, tune into this body itself and the field around the body. And for some people they wonder, like, what does that mean, this field around the body? So we could play with this a little bit. Uh, Like, for example, uh, invite you to uh, hold up your hands as if you're about to clap them, but don't clap them. So you can tune in for this moment to the hands themselves and what it feels like there. And you can even close your eyes and just tune into the sensations that you're experiencing there. I invite you to slowly start moving your hands towards each other. 
And notice how it feels, any difference, as they're moving towards each other. And stop before they come into direct contact. So you might notice that there was a difference in your experience even before the hands have come into direct contact. So there's a way in which we can sense this field that is not only tied to the skin, but there's a, there's a way in which we have a sense of the energy around the body, which is overlapping, but perhaps extending out from that. If you want, you can play with that. So pull them apart again, a bit slowly, and notice the difference. So you can feel that the hands are further apart. I feel like you can see if you can move them towards your face. Kind of almost as if you were going to cover your eyes or cover your face, but don't even touch directly the face. But notice how there's a sense of energy. There's a sense you can feel that you're close to your face before you touch there. And if you want, you can try this with something somewhat inanimate too, like see if you can move your hands towards the ground or if you're on the chair, towards the sides of the chair, towards a wall. And even before you touch that, you can have a sense that you're approaching something. You're approaching some, something different that you know even before you've directly touched it. So even as we had played with you know, feeling the outline of the body and uh, noticing like this, there's a way in which the uh, sense of perception is beyond our visual outline of the body. So it's helpful to recognize there's a sense of seeing that we have, there's a sense of hearing we have, a sense of smell, sense of taste, sense of touch. And there's an interaction between these different senses, but they're not totally the same. So we don't have to be fooled by the sense of the visual outline, which might seem uh, steady and uh, solid. Uh, There's a way in which the energetic outline of the body might be different than that. Or I'll put that forth as a hypothesis for you to investigate. And in case you did all this stuff with moving your hands around and felt like nothing, Uh, It doesn't mean that you're hopeless at uh, meditation or anything. Uh, It just means this exercise didn't work for you. That's okay. So you can play with this in different ways, you know, as you're moving around, like recognizing, oh, there's this field of sight, and then also there's this field of touch. And we're experimenting with resting the attention in this form of the body. You know, but not just the physical outline of the body, just holding like a slightly more spacious, energetic field. Another way that you might relate to this is sometimes you might walk into a room sometimes or uh, go to get on a bus or sit next to someone uh, on a bench and 
you haven't physically touched this person, they haven't said anything to you, but you sense that this person is upset or angry. And maybe you haven't even looked at their face, so it's not even from a visual cue, uh, if you have that to receive. But there's some way in which we can feel and sense energy. Right? When someone is angry, when someone is upset, and then also when someone is happy sometimes. As small children and animals are often more tuned into this than uh, adults are. As small children and animals often can tell if someone is mad, stay away from them, or you know, if someone feels safe to go close to. But we actually all have this uh, sense about us. We just might have lost touch or in some ways overridden this way of knowing uh, that we have available to us. So for me this is one of the powerful aspects of this practice is developing this mindfulness, developing this awareness, uh, almost like a different faculty. It's like uh, reconnecting with a different way of knowing, an intuition, through which we can receive so much information about life, uh, about the way things are. So it's useful both on a kind of interpersonal way for understanding relationships between people, your impact on others, uh, but also through our attention to this field in this way, we have the potential to learn things that can lead to complete liberation. So I mentioned those five senses, but uh, it could be worth noting that in the Buddhist psychology, the mind is also considered a sense, a sense field. So it's also a sense field through which we receive impressions of thoughts, of memories, of plans. So these are all simply mind objects that arise and are known through this sense door. There's somewhat a radical way to look at thinking or the mind. It's different than uh, placing that at the forefront. So in some ways the mind is considered an equal sense door to your nose. It's hard for us to get this because usually as, uh, as humans we've gotten so used to focusing on the field of thinking, living in the world of our ideas, and really uh, getting very caught up in our ideas about things. So you might be sitting here and connected to this experience of the body as form, and then before you know it, you're off in the field of the mind, right? Remembering something that happened before you came here, or worrying about something in the future, or uh, speculating, imagining. In case this happened to you today, you are not alone. That's a frequent human experience uh, on retreat. or It's a f- frequent human experience in general, but you notice it more on retreat, <laughs> I guess you'd say. If it helps any to have some more affection for or patience with this aspect, um, I sometimes think if this was a retreat full of uh, dogs, particularly like 
beagles or uh, like uh, hound dogs who have a very strong sense of smell. Uh, they have a hard time like not following their sense of smell. So a friend who has beagle, and the beagle, he will smell something, he'll just take off right, after that scent uh, across fields and plains, and he just totally forgets where his home is. You know? He'll just like track something. So they have to keep him on a leash or keep him in the fence or something, because like, he gets a whiff of something and he's like gone. You know? So similarly, if you had a bunch of beagles here on retreat, it would be like they'd get a smell and then like poof, the whole room would, <laughs> it would suddenly be cleared, right? And then... The poor beagles would then remember, like, oh, right, retreat, Gaia house, okay, right. And then they would dolefully come back and galump back onto their cushion, and like, all right, feeling the field of the body, <laughs> the tail, <laughs> the wagging, yes. But then before they know it, another scent would come up, and, poof, you know, they'll be gone, and, okay, right, find someone in the garden, one in the church, one down the lane, one with the sheep, right, oh, right. Ah, meditation, come back, okay. <laughs> so that's all what's happening to you. <laughs> you know. So just as you might have some uh, love for the poor beagles who might be trying their best, but following their nose as their habit is, uh, yeah, just be very patient with yourself and the habits of the mind and the way in which we put that at the forefront and chase after thoughts and live in that world. But just like beagles and uh, dogs are trainable, so is the puppy dog of our own mind, too. Our attention can train our attention. So there's something beautiful about being able to live a life of uh, simplicity. And there's a way in which also this uh, attention to the body is in some ways very mundane but also in some ways like a very beautiful re-sacralizing you could say like reconnecting to the sacredness of life so this life which has been gifted to each of us but which is still a mystery so this truth of the our birth and being subject to getting older and sickness and death. And also it's true that none of us know when our life is going to end. And none of us know the method through which our life is going to end or the time of our death. And yet we can all be sure that that is going to happen for this physical body. So if we actually really are able to tune into that, then why not pay attention here? Why not connect to this sacredness, this mystery of this life, while it's here, for however long it lasts? Give ourselves, even just this week, this opportunity to, in some ways, practice this uh, devotion of attention, of care, to this body and to learn all the mysteries, to learn all that there is here to learn. So most of us in the modern world don't actually prioritize the body. We're not used to anchoring our attention here. 
So it's helpful for, you know, at least this week we're going to practice that. We're going to have the opportunity to come back again, come back again, come back again. And practice this in all these different ways. You know, like we were talking about, it's, it can feel like work sometimes, but also it can feel like play. So even now as I'm speaking, or you know, another time when you hear uh, Catherine speaking, or even if you're outside and listening to the birds, you can notice, where am I listening from? You know, we have an idea, a concept, like, oh, I'm listening from my ears. And in some ways that may be true in a certain way, but what happens if I listen from the body? What happens if I listen from the heart? What would that be like? To be fully present and listening to someone, including the heart. What would it be like to listen from the belly? <laughs> you could even play with this in walking around. Uh, like, what's it like to be present and connected to the whole form, but like listening in some way, tuned in, noticing these different areas, these different ways of connecting, of being aware. How would life be different if that was the case? What would I learn? What would I understand differently? So we have the opportunity here to develop a kind of uh, exquisite attention, a beautiful, detailed attention. So to be present with this broad sense of the body, the form, but in a more continuous way than when we have functional, specific things that we have to do, to think about, to write, uh, tasks to do, jobs to attend to. This is also one of the beautiful things about retreat, is like, yeah, that's, that's your whole job here. The job is practicing this presence and playing in this field. And forgetting and then remembering again. Forgetting and then remembering again. Forgetting and remembering again. And as part of this attending to the experience of the body, this form as well, I would invite you also to connect in some way with this sense of the the love that one can have for life, for one's form, for one's being. So what this means is this, there can be a quality of the attention that has some sense of intimacy, of respect, of kindness, of goodwill. So we'll talk about this more as we uh, go along. It can be somewhat ephemeral sometimes, but we're not holding a kind of clinical distance from ourselves. We're not being like uh, scientists or uh, holding ourselves in some uh, 
cold gaze. There's a way in which connecting to this body and then even sometimes it feels like to the body of the collective whole here, of our whole body of the retreat or sometimes that extension can become the body of nature. It's possible to hold this also with a sense of kindness, goodwill, affection, So many of you have heard of the quality of metta. Metta translated as uh, sometimes loving kindness or unconditional love or goodwill. Or my favorite translation is this uh, force of unstoppable friendliness. So what this means is, you know, can we hold this body, this form, Can we establish our our frame here? Can we collect our attention here with this flavor of, of friendliness, of friendship, of goodwill? So sometimes it can help to do this, to remind yourself of one you might have this attitude towards. It's not always accessible for us towards our own form, our own body, unfortunately. So you could consider, yeah, is there someone who I can bring to mind, who I can remember, uh, for whom I have this sense of affection and goodwill towards their form, their body. It could be a a small child who you've been associated with. Could be a dear friend. Could be a partner. It could be a pet, a cat, dog. It could be even an animal you've seen here, a bird, or if you encountered some sheep that you took a liking to recently shaved sheep uh, chomping on the grass in the fields. So the sense of, yeah, what would it be like to have that sense of goodwill towards that body, to wish them well? Even just as simply as, uh, yeah, may you be well. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be at ease. You can see if you can remember or recall what that could be like and bring up that sense towards anyone from your past, from your present. could be also remembering someone who has looked after you. So those who we reflected on, who have helped us to be here on retreat, who have shown us kindness. It could be that we have a sense of goodwill towards any of these beings. 
our teachers, mentors. And then let's see if we can bring that sense into the way that we hold the frame of this body. So connecting again as you're sitting here, the experience of the body, feeling the space around it. See if we can hold ourselves with any amount of friendliness or goodwill As we come to the end of the day, you could appreciate this body dragging around from the morning bell, waking up maybe earlier than you usually do. Or you could appreciate the body feeding oatmeal, which it may or may not have liked or preferred. Appreciate the body sitting as still as it could here in the hall, listening to teachings, walking back and forth. Then following the instructions to shake around, shake out the feet and the booty and arms and all the different postures, all the different ways the body has moved, sometimes with pain, sometimes with pleasure. You can see if we can hold this fathom-long body also with a sense of goodwill, of love. For some, if it's hard to access this Sometimes people find it helpful to put a hand on your heart. If you want to try this, you can. Just connecting with the sense of goodwill for this vulnerable, beautiful, miraculous body in which all kinds of processes are happening beyond our control. Blood is pumping, food is digesting, Just take a moment to feel how dear this one is, this very unique being. Appreciate the good qualities you might have. And hold oneself with a sense of kindness, well-wishing. It helps you can actually say some phrases of wishes for yourself, appreciation. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe.
May I live with ease. You can see if you can feel the entire form of the body holding oneself with this sense of goodwill. Noticing this sense of friendliness and love can emanate beyond the boundaries of the skin, beyond the physical outline of the body. So this has an impact on all those around you as well. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe. May I live with ease. We can continue to sit and rest in this way for a little bit. If you'd like to keep your hand there on your heart, you can, or if you feel to remove it, also okay. If you'd like to continue using some phrases, you can do that. Or if you'd like to just rest in a sense of spaciousness with the form, with the sense of kindness, you can also do that. As we come to the end of our formal practice together, our formal schedule for the day, we can appreciate also 
all of our Dharma friends here, our community, that's helped us to stick with it. So we can wish well for all of us, just in the same way that I would like to be happy and well and safe. So would all of those friends here. May we all be contented. May we all know a liberation of mind. May we all be strong and healthy. May we all be safe from inner and outer harm. And as we close our day, if there's anyone you want to include from home, friends, family, you can also bring them to mind. May we all be peaceful and happy. May we all be strong and healthy. May we all be safe from inner and outer harm. May we all live with ease. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.